0: I want to read out of 1 Kings chapter 19 this morning. The first 16 verses. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 16. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods. Do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Bathsheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him And said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb the mountain of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, "...thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth, and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake." And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped or hid his face in his mantle, and went out and stood in the entering it of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. When thou comest anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mohala shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. Father, I thank You, Lord, this morning for articulation. Lord, that You would grant me utterance, Father God, to exalt Christ, to unveil the Savior fresh to us, to expose sin, Father, Lord, we so desperately need to hear this Word here this morning, Fathers. We're so apt to fall after this pattern. But I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that You would deal with every heart according to Thy Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen to God. You know, definitely there's some more sermon material here in this this passage, but the Holy Ghost has led me in a very specific way to interpret this from a certain angle and uh, to apply it to us here this morning. I've heard this preached several different ways. And, and as, I, as I said, I do believe that there's other lessons for us to learn in this passage. But I want us to look at it from a different viewpoint this morning. You know, Elijah is one of the most captivating figures in the Bible. And we know that he was a prophet. He was a prophet. In times of great apostasy and compromise, he was successful in his ministry and bringing Israel face to face with their error. And by doing so, uh, he gave Israel that opportunity for repentance and for revival. We know the Bible says in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. We know that John the Baptist partially fulfilled that in His coming before the Lord Jesus Christ. But I believe in these dangerous and terrible last days, God is going to pour out, amen, the Spirit of Elijah upon the remnant, those that would be faithful to God. Who is the Spirit of Elijah? Nothing more, nothing less than the Holy Ghost. Amen, the Holy Ghost is poured out upon those that will remain true to God. Amen, and that is revival, that there are people in the earth that remain faithful to God in the midst of apostasy. Furthermore, the Bible reveals in James chapter 5 that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. The encouraging thing here in that verse is that what Elijah did by grace and what Elijah accomplished by the Holy Ghost, you and I can accomplish. But the flip side to that is his failures will be our failures if we don't take heed to the warning of the Word of God. And that's what we're going to look at here this morning. I believe his life is a model that we can study, that we can learn, we can see the spiritual warfare to the faithful remnant in these last days, the things that we're definitely going to face if we're going to stand for God. You know, often is the case in regards to the Bible that it will reveal a man's achievements. But it will also expose his frailties and his weaknesses. And Elijah is no exception. There's a whole lot that we could glean if we studied the positive aspects of Elijah's ministry. They far outweigh the weaknesses. I'm not here to attack the prophet Elijah. Amen. But I believe this morning the Spirit of God wants us to concentrate on a flaw. One single flaw that is exposed in Elijah's character that we need to be very, very careful about. And that's that attitude of self-pity. I said self-pity is a dangerous, dangerous attitude of heart. Amen. It's not something to be dabbled with. It's not something to be entertained. It's not something to play with, as we're going to see here this morning. And I pray that God would help me and that God would anoint me to utterly shame this attitude of heart. I'll do you a great disservice if I don't bring this wicked, evil sin out before you and expose it for what it is. It's a wicked thing. It ought not be tolerated in our own heart. We ought not allow such thoughts, amen, that tend to self-pity, amen. We ought not allow such thoughts to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Where well, we ought to bring into captivity every single thought. Our thought lives ought to be free from this kind of mentality. But you can search the church world. People revel in this. I said they revel in it. As I mentioned, you know, this is right along the lines with with what we've been teaching the last three services. But whole ministries, amen, have just, you know, capitalized on people being offended and hurt. Let me tell you something. You have no right. I said you have no right as a Christian. And as soon as you come to a place where you recognize you must walk in victory, you cannot entertain self-pity Amen. The sooner that you're going to realize a mature life in Christ. Amen. That's babyish Christianity at best. I said babyish Christianity at best to entertain self pity. Amen. We have a few preliminaries we're going to deal with just to establish, Amen, our ground here. The first thing that I want you to know here this morning is that Elijah was mightily used of God. He was a man of God. I said he was a man of God and he was mightily used of God. It says here in the first verse that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets With the sword. Amen. He was faithful in his calling as a prophet. We need to realize that this morning. This is no mere pretender, but he's a man of spiritual action. It was hidden from no one. God knew it. Man acknowledged it. And the devil utterly hated it. Amen. Ahab declared to Jezebel all that Elijah had done. He's not just a hearer of the Word of God. He's a doer of the Word of God. And as true with all God-called prophets, He was used to turn God's people back to pure truth. That's what that preacher, that prophet, is to do, to unveil Christ who is the truth, to bring the remnant, to bring, amen, God's chosen people back to the original model and plan of God. It says He slayed all the prophets, the false prophets that speaking of with the sword. And the application in the Spirit is this, that preacher is to be skillful in the use of the Word of God, to expose, to slay the error, to bring God's people back to a place where they know the difference between the holy and the propane, That this is the voice of God. This is the character of God. To bring people to a place where they can discern between good and evil. That's the call of that prophet. But well, you know, because of a fierce stand against sin and compromise, amen, he was called a troublemaker. We read in 1 Kings chapter 18, that Ahab, when he saw Elijah, that he said, Art thou he that troubleth ease Israel? And listen to the response of the prophet. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou in thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. That's always the source of trouble. I said, that's always the source of trouble, even when men forsake the commandments of God. It's not a, a blood-washed, fire-breathing prophet that preaches against sin. That's the trouble, but it's men's hearts that will not bow the me to Christ. That's the problem. Preaching's not too hard, friend. It's hard hearts. That's the problem. Amen. Elijah was divinely a divinely used vessel that spoke and acted for God. He was a man familiar with the supernatural. He'd been miraculously fed by ravens. He'd been divinely sustained by a widow woman. Amen. He raised the dead back to life. He prophesied to a king, and the kingdom shook. At his word, the rain started, amen, and the rain stopped. In one sweeping act of spiritual boldness, 400 prophets of error, amen, were brought to their end, to their demise. This was a man of God who was familiar with God, who spoke for God, and was used of God. Amen, he wasn't just somebody, a novice that came along, but he was someone who walked with God. And all this is recorded for our observation in 1 Kings chapter seventeen through eighteen. So I want to establish that that he was mightily used of God, that he was a man of God. He wasn't a counterfeit, he wasn't a fraud, he wasn't a hypocrite. The second thing we see here that Satan has a counterattack to someone who is used of God. Verses two through three, and then Jezebel sent a messenger. Under Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life, as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he, Elijah, saw that, he arose and went for his life. Amen. Every time you go for your life, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Every time you seek to save your life, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Every time that you pursue your own interests, you're going to find yourself in a heap of trouble. Whenever your mentality and your mindset and your thoughts are to defend yourself or to keep your life, your own little ideas and your agenda, you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble. He went for his wife and he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. Amen. Hey, you're not going to serve. When you take yourself somewhere to save yourself, you're going to leave your servant back there. Amen. You're going to leave all your service and all your attitude of service, amen, back in the will of God. And when you go to save your life from that point on, you are going to be selfishly bent. Even if you try to hold to the things of God, you're not going to have grace to serve because you're going to be running for your life. Amen. And when you run for your life because you're threatening the will of God, then you are indirectly running from the will of God. Because the will of God to always cost your life. And I thought we were supposed to have that settled before we ever picked up our cross. Do you hear me? I thought we had to have that settled. Hey, we're going to have to sell all to get that pearl of great price. Amen. But when God moves the enemy, always seeks to respond. In other words, he's going to come to oppose. He's going to come to resist. He wants to try to neutralize that witness for Christ. We know that everybody that lives godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We know from the the parable of the sower, and we read that the other morning, amen, that everybody that gets born again is going to suffer affliction and tribulation and persecution. Why? Because of the Word's sake. You're going to preach and live this Word. You're going to suffer some trouble. A man used of God will invariably face the devil. Amen. We're not going to boldly pick up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and not have some trouble. We're going to be tested. I said we're going to be tested. The things that we preach and the things that we promote as Christianity, we are going to be thoroughly tested in those things. And Elijah is no exception to that. The prophet, he's used by God in a mighty way. Therefore, he becomes a primary target. Now I want you to notice here this morning that the test, Comes on the heels of Elijah's greatest victory. Is that right? Amen. He's at the height and the pinnacle of his ministry. The fire has fallen, the error has been exposed. Amen, the compromising element has been brought to an end. Brought to destruction, purged from Israel. He's been vindicated, amen, before the eyes of the nation. He's called a troublemaker there earlier in chapter 18. And then he's vindicated before the nation that he preached to. That's the height of a man's ministry. That's great victory. And the test comes on the heels of such victory. And so it is in our life. You have great victory... Amen. Watch out. The devil's right around the corner. And you can overcome him, but you're going to have to stay in God. You see, God, amen, he's going to have a human vessel, but so will the devil. And Elijah was God's man, but Jezebel is Satan's tool. And Jezebel hated prophets. Amen. It says that she sought to cut off the prophets of the Lord. That meant she sought to kill them. Amen. To silence them. Amen. And that's true today. The spirit of Jezebel is Hates preaching. This element in the church that cannot stand preaching doesn't like a preacher, doesn't want preaching to his first. Somebody's going to offend me. That's too straight. When I'm going to preach to somebody, it's going to turn them off. That's the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel hates prophets. She's always hated prophets. But ironically, Elijah, you know, he's faced danger of every conceivable sort and type. But now he's threatened by a woman and he runs for his life. Isn't that a strange thing? You know, some men fall because they lust after women and other men fall because they're scared of them. Do you hear me? And that's a pattern you see throughout the ministry. Men committing adultery and men that are afraid of women. Amen. Women in the church that are trying to run the pulpit. Women in the home trying to run the home and men being intimidated by that spirit of Jezebel. Or both. You find men that commit adultery with Jezebel as well. Amen. They're scared of them and they lust after them as well. But you know, and you've heard me say this before, you know the Bible says, that the qualification of a bishop should be that he ruleth well his house. Do you hear me? That word ruleth, if you just utter such words in mixed company, that's unacceptable. It's politically incorrect. But it's also religiously incorrect. Oh, we're not going to rule anybody. It's 50-50. No, sir! Amen. That man of God and that husband and that father must rule his home. It says of Abraham, the father of faith, I can trust him. That's what God said. He said because he commands his family. In other words, he tells them what to do. Amen. And we'll never have. Amen. In this hour, listen to me. When the pulpit does not get back to being authoritative, amen, that we're not going to set a course for anybody. Amen. Uncertainty. It riddles the pulpit. Which direction are we to go? Leadership has to be certain. Amen. And you know, you find people, I've seen this in this little fellowship before. We've had people come. We've had people go. And they'll criticize the big church down the street and say that pastor afraid of his congregation. And that pastor there, he won't preach because it's going to cost him. And the same men are scared of their wives. That's why the qualification says yes to rule his house. Amen. Because if you won't tell your wife what to do, you're not fit for a pulpit. Amen. If you're scared of your wife, you're definitely going to be scared of them 30 people that are going to get upset when you disappoint them. Amen. when it to speak the word of God. Elijah had trusted God in Tom's past. In times of hunger and famine and drought. Amen. Spiritual confrontation. You study the two previous chapters. And he trusted God in that. What you are trying to say, preacher? He knew. Now I'm going to speak the word of the Lord to Ahab here. And there's going to be a drought. Amen. I live here too. There's going to be some consequences for me. How am I going to eat? How am I going to drink, Lord? If I say there's going to be a drought. And there is. Amen. He had have faith in God. That he's going to say what God told him to say. And he had faith for God to provide for him. In other words, there's a cost to speak. But now he's faced with a rebellious woman. And he lacks faith. You hear me? It's the same principle. Amen. i got to say the Word of God. If my wife don't like it, it don't matter. i got to speak the Word of the Lord. And then if I have faith, I trust that God will take care of her. Or my children. Or you in this church. Amen. Do you understand me? God has to give me the Word Amen, this is true for all of us in our station of responsibility in the kingdom of God. God gives me what to preach. And I've got to preach it. And it doesn't matter how you like it, don't like it, if you get disappointed, if you try to make me pay a price. Amen, it doesn't matter. Amen. I've got to speak the word of the Lord. So here we have a flaw. Elijah's fearful. Amen, he's fearful because Jezebel is angry. He had trusted God before, but now it's a matter of unbelief. And it's exposed. So we see that the devil successfully uses Jezebel as an instrument of intimidation against Elisha. And that spirit of Jezebel, it is a powerful weapon in the arsenal of demonic tricks. And so it is in the church in this hour. Not just women have that spirit. Do you hear me? It's men and women. But just that losing the victory. Listen to me. That, that, what happened here? The Word of God was spoken ramifications, repercussions for the spoken word of God. And Jezebel, Jezebel said, you're not going to say what you're saying and do what you're, say, do what you're doing without paying a price. I'm going to make you pay a price for living that way. I'm going to make you pay a price for preaching that. I'm going to silence you. That's everywhere. I said that's everywhere in every station of life for the Christian." That's the intimidation. And that's nothing more than the spirit of Jezebel. We've got to rise above that. If we set our face to be a witness and a testimony to truth, then we're going to face the wrath of the devil. We're going to be tested. Amen. We're going to be tested in everything that we stand for and believe in. The third thing here, entertaining a spirit of death. And this is what we're going to get down into the meat of the message here. Amen. What we just spoke of, we just established some things. Elijah was a man of God. Amen. And the devil had a counterattack to neutralize his witness. But now we're going to really get into what the Spirit of God wants to talk to us about. Entertaining a spirit of death. But he himself, it says in verse 4, went a day's journey into the wilderness. Did God send him there? No, he himself went there. He's out of the will of God. He's doing his own thing. He's responding to... He's responding to a situation. And just out of self-preservation, He takes Himself a day's journey into the wilderness. Amen. And came and sat down under a juniper tree. Now, you know, I, I found out a juniper tree is just a bush. Just a little shrub there. And it provides very little shade. You know, when you and I fall, that's exactly... What we tend to do, we tend to go find a juniper tree to sit under and bemoan our situation. And we're going to find no rest for our soul. There is no rest for the weary. Amen. That juniper tree is not going to provide any shade from the the, the heat of the sun. Amen. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father. What's happening here? Elijah, he's feeling the sting of guilt. You know, it's a shameful thing for a man to abandon the will of God because of a mere threat from a woman. And you know, fear, especially for a man, is a a terrible and an awful thing. When we find ourselves as cowards, when we should exhibit courage, that is a disgraceful and a humiliating thing. And this is the failure here. Elijah's recognizing this. He knows he's wrong. Amen. And he's popping down into this Judah tree. And he said, I'm no better than all the folks I preached against. I'm exposed to what I, what I am. And I'm just worthy to die or to die. That's what I'm worthy of. And listen to me. Everything could be, could be straightened out if Elijah would just repent. It's a terrible thing that he fell. But the worst thing here is that he wouldn't respond right to his conscience and to the dealing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. How does he react to his failure? Does he repent, stand to his feet, confess his sin, and seek God for instructions? Nope. He doesn't do it. And you know, if you'll just carefully read through this chapter, you'll see that not one time, never, at this point, amen, from this point on, we never see Elijah asking God for guidance again. Never. From this point on, he never asked God, what would you have me do? What's the will of God? All he's trying to do is escape the dealings of God from this point out. And listen, when you and I fall into rebellion, you know why we don't pray? You know why we don't ask? Because we don't like the answer. So we just we seek for somebody to give us something that we want. And that's always the pattern of folks to get out of the will of God and stay in church and search for someone to minister to that idol of self. And friend, if you want to go to hell that bad, then I tell you this, somebody will come along with the Word and they'll tell you exactly what you want to hear in the name of Jesus. And that's where all these false movements come from. People that fall away, People that save their lives, they take themselves in another place, out into the wilderness of sin, and someone preaches to them and tells them, you're right, you're in the will of God. They don't repent, they die and end up in hell. Amen. This is the key right here to understanding the pattern of what transpires in the rest of our story here this morning. I want you to remember that. All he had to do was repent that's all he had to do is be honest with himself and honest with God. Instead of responding properly to conviction, what is he doing? He wallows in his failure. And again, remember that when we're chasing of the Lord, there's two improper responses. And one is to despise it, the other is to faint. And that's what Elijah's doing. He's fainting. He's been chastened of the Lord. He knows he's wrong, but he just responds, I can't do this. I'm worthy to die. And look at the prayer that he prays. Is this sincere? No, it's not sincere. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father. They just went to save his life. And now he's asking, asking spiritual like he's willing to lose his life. I've seen this so many times when you deal with people and, they, you know, they're not doing the will of God. And they just moan because listen, why don't you shut up and repent if you really care about God? not a spiritualize it. Oh, I'm no good. I'm really not even worthy to be in the kingdom. That's all just a false humility, you hear me? People that are really concerned about God will repent. I said people that really are concerned about God and His glory will repent. Amen. He ran to save his life. Now he's deceived into believing. He's willing to give it up. And you know, listen, none of us have to fall. And I believe that. I believe that is the will of God. However, if you do fall or I fall, we had better respond properly to it or we're inviting deception. And you know, I read this first in a little bit different light. First John chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. I want you to consider it in this context. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanses us from all sin. People say, I'm cleansed from all sin. No, not if you don't walk in the light, as He's in the light. That's the condition for the promise. Amen. In other words, you've done something contrary to the will of God and you know that you're wrong, then you're receiving no cleansing by the blood until you get in the light. As long as you remain in that darkness, then there is no forgiveness for sin. Now look, I want you to notice. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Listen to me. These are the conditions for reconciliation and restoration. In this context, it has a little bit different I believe it's the truth. These are conditions for a man to be reconciled to God. But they're also conditions for you and I, if we fall, to be, re- to be restored under fellowship with God. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not is What happens when one of these attitudes or hearts comes on? We want to say we're right and not wrong. We're deceiving ourselves. But if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. And His Word is not in us. See, we've got to meet the condition. I want to make this important point right here. The spiritual response to failure is repentance. The spiritual response to failure is repentance. The spiritual response to even a question, if maybe I failed, is repentance. The man who is spiritual... He is always going to repent. He's going to come. He's going to make things right. The cornal response is self-justification and self-pity. You hear me? Self-pity is a sign that something is wrong in the heart. You hear me? Every time you find somebody who pities themselves, I promise you trace the course of it, and there's sin somewhere. I said there's sin somewhere. You don't know what I've been through. Admire what you've been through. You have no right to pity yourself, none whatsoever. And true repentance will always be followed and validated by what? The victory. Hello, a man's going to be free. Proverbs twenty-eight and thirteen. He that covers his sins. Shall not prosper, but who shall confess it and forsaketh them shall have mercy. It's not enough merely to confess. I've got to confess and forsake. For those are the conditions that I'm going to have mercy. And our experience parallels this. Hey, then you lose the victory, something happens. There's an attitude, of heart contrary to the will of God. And you refuse to make that thing right. Amen. And there is a block between you and God. There's a hindrance. There's no way to sense the grace, the presence, the power of God. And you're not going to have mercy until you confess and forsake. No shortcut to that. Self-pity is a subtle attempt by the flesh to avert the light and escape the demands of biblical repentance, humility, and reformation. Now, we're talking about Elijah here. He went out and preached a wonderful, great message, a message of revival. Revival took place, and a woman said, I'm going to kill you. And now he's lost the victory. A lot of people say he's got every right. I mean, a a woman just said she's going to kill him? I mean, no wonder he's distraught. He has no right. He has no right. Folks who don't have the victory, I can tell you what, they're generally the products of a refusal to repent. That's why they don't have any grace. Because listen to me, a lot of times circumstances take place in our life. You know, just what Brother Charlie mentioned this morning, pray for those who despitefully use you. I tell you, when I sit down with somebody, and this is just so common, you, you, you go all over the church and sit down and they begin to tell you how they were done wrong, people used them, and you know, just it'll cause you. I lose all. I know this person is is infantile in the spirit. They don't. They're so. They're so immature in Christ. They don't recognize that that circumstance, Amen, was not to expose that devil and not to make, I'm not making anybody right that uses people or wrongs people. But that circumstance was to expose them, and they don't even see it. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Why are you telling me all about your troubles? and why someone did you wrong. Grow up and get the victory. Amen. And pray for people that used you. Amen. The next thing we see here, Amen. And Elijah, he had an improper response. And what happens? He opens the floodgate of demonic oppression. The next thing we see, Amen. Arise and eat is the command. Verses 5 through 6. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree. Now the first step, he came and sat there. You know, the first thing you're going to do, you're going to go sit down in that place. But the next thing you're going to do is you're going to lay down in that place. And before long, you're going to be asleep. And, and sleep always uh, is typical or represents deception. You're going to be unaware of what's absolutely taking place. Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. You know what he's telling him? Get to victory. That's what he's telling him. He's just telling You, you need to get up. And you need to eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And this pattern is always the same. When man falls, God in his mercy will always pursue him. And thank God for that. Aren't you thankful and appreciative this morning that God will come, a- come to fetch you when you fall? When Adam fell in the garden, what happened? He hid from the presence of the Lord. But it was God that sought out Adam, not Adam that, seek- that sought out God. His that Adamic nature, that old nature, always tends to... To hide from God, but it's that man who yields to the spirit. And even in failure, if he's a spiritual man, he's going to draw not to God, but if he's carnal, he's going to be evasive. He's going to hide. And you find this all over the church world: people that stiff-arm you in the spirit, they can't enter in, they can't worship God. You watch them in a a prayer meeting, public prayer meeting; they can't pray for fifteen minutes. What's the problem? There's something wrong in their heart. Well, they just hadn't learned how to pray yet. No, 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 no. That little baby, he'll talk. He might not make good. He might not be. Uh, you not be able to hear the words that he that he says. Little Joshua, he talks. He's talking. He's seeking to communicate, and you can hear him speak. And he'll speak all day long when he wakes up. Amen. Just making little noises. Those little babies, they'll do what? They may not be able to make a, a legible or a, make a, a sentence that you can understand or verbalize, a command or verbalize a wish, but I can tell you what they can do, they can cry. Amen. That baby Christian, he can pray because he knows God. That person that cannot pray, there's something between them and God. I'm going to tell you prayer is easy. as walking and breathing when that, when our relationship is right with the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see this all over the church world. Have a prayer meeting. People sitting there staring at the carpet. Why? And listen to me. If they won't pray in the corporate setting, I guarantee you they're not praying alone. And if there is no prayer, it's impossible for a man to be spiritual. A man that does not pray is not right with God. Amen. You know, we heard Brother Cousin talk about Bunyan and his comment. Amen. A Christian man is a praying man. He that's not a praying man is not a Christian man. But we see here a lot that he's not physically hiding, but he's what? Avoiding the obvious. He had moved. He's in the same place and he's got the same attitude. And you know, I've seen this in my own life as well as the lives of others. When a man falls and and he's in a place where he's refusing to budge, refusing to repent, refusing to make things right, he'll be given over to sleep. He'll begin to sleep. Because you know what? In sleep, we're unconscious of the dealings of God. You hear me? Man, I'll tell you, you know what, You ever listen to me, I'm telling you by experience. Have you ever had a day where you did something, some, something happened, the devil came in like a flood, you did something wrong, you needed to make that thing right, and what you did is just went in your bed and curled up and went to sleep. Amen, just tried to escape the dealings of God. Amen, look at this, he refuses to feed himself. He refuses this, to know the truth and not to obey it. There is no more tormenting of an experience than that or existence for a man that knows the truth. And so he's refusing to feed himself. And I know this isn't natural, but I believe there's a spiritual application here. It says in Proverbs 26 and 15, The thoughtful heart of his hand in his bosom. Got his hand tangled up in his own agenda. Got his hand tangled up. Amen. In his own interest. It grieved him to bring it again to his mouth. Amen. He won't even feed himself. Do you hear me? And that's what happens. When you fall and you refuse to repent, that atomic nature. There's nothing in you wants to read the Bible. There's nothing in you wants to pray. Amen. Church can be tormenting. You want to hide from God. How can you overcome that? You can repent. Or. You can harden your heart. Hello, lots of people—they so harden their heart. They don't have any victory, but they've come to a place where they can endure these things. Amen. They can sit in the house of God. Amen. They're not, they're not, they not—they not—they don't have a hunger. They don't possess a desire for God because there's something just covered over or the, the callousness of time. And they refuse to make things right and they have no victory. But they've calloused themselves where the dealings of God no longer affects them. Amen. This is the pattern. When we fall, and then if we refuse to truly repent, then God's going to do these things. He's going to first of all send us a messenger. And that messenger is going to touch us with the with the aim to awaken us out of sleep. What's He want to give us? He wants to give us bread and water. And that represents the Word of God under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. It may be a loving brother to come reprove us. It may be a preacher with a message. Amen. Somebody's going to come and do what we refuse to do for ourselves. That's always the pattern. And thank God for that. You refuse to eat. What is that? You find yourself in a circumstance. You know, Christianity is very simple. You want to know the answer? Go to the book. But I talk to people all the time. I got this problem. I got that problem. What does the Bible say? Well, I know, but you're not feeding yourself. You're not going to the book and just obeying it and eating and partaking of it. You know, it says in John, they showed him a little scroll, and when he ate it, it was sweet as honey in his mouth, but it was bitter in his stomach. Sometimes you've got to eat. It is sweet as honey. It's a glorious thing. But sometimes there's going to be bitter consequences for that. And if you won't eat what's set before you, Amen, then you're not going to live. Because God has got one menu, and that is the Word of God in Christ. And that's what He's going to give us to eat. Amen. If we find ourselves in a situation, I can tell you what's going to happen. When we fall and we refuse to repent, then God is going to send our authority. He's going to send our parents. He's going to send our husband. He's going to send our pastor. Somebody with the Word of God. I know this is true because I've had it happen to me. I've been had things going on and somebody come and give me the Word of the Lord. And they always tell me in so many words it can be summed up. Arise and eat. Get up out of that puddle of self-pity. Get up and walk and eat the Word of God. And you'll live. That's always the Word of God to us. When we're in that place, amen. And you know, I picture Elijah. I picture him just very reluctantly rising and eating. But you know what he does after eat? He lays right back down. And that's the pattern of so many people. They find themselves losing the victory. Something's come between them and God. Amen. And the Word of God probes them. The Word of God haunts them. And God sends prophets rising early, sending them late. Amen. And they reluctantly partake of what they need. But they go and lay right back down in that situation. Situation, you're going to perish there if you don't get up you're going to perish there if you don't get up That's the case with us. So often we entertain the wooing of God, but we refuse to completely forsake the wrong attitude of heart. And the reason for this is is when that heart becomes mixed, it wants to play both sides of the fence. Elijah here, amen, he loves the blessings of God. He's been under the power of God. He doesn't want to lose that. Hey, he fears going to hell. This is where people are at. They know that they're blessed as long as they follow Jesus. They know if they don't repent that this is the road to hell. They fear all that. But they love themselves more. And so there's this wrestling match. Amen. They shun being humbled. Listen to me. The way of life. You're going to be exposed. You're going to be humbled. Amen. They're hot between two opinions. Now, isn't that an interesting thought? That Elijah finds himself just a few days after preaching... I said, just a few days after preaching a message to a whole nation, a message on revival, a message on judgment, he says, why are you hard between two opinions? If God is God, then you need to serve Him. If Baal is God, then let's serve Him. But quit having a double mind. And we find him tested in what he preached. Amen. What you preach to mom and daddy. What you preach to your next door neighbor. The things that you promote. The things that you say you believe. You're getting ready to be tested in it. And are you going to respond right? Are you going to be exposed as a hypocrite? I've seen that. I'm going to be tested in what I'm preaching here this morning. I'll be tested in it as early as next week. Oh, it happens all the time. You preach something. And suddenly you find yourself in a situation. And you begin to respond a certain way. And the Holy Ghost says, you just preached against that. Oh, I need to line up. Amen. I need to do the will of God. Amen. No mixture of heart. Amen. But you know, God's not going to beg you to eat forever. He's not going to pursue you forever. The second time the angel comes, he says the say touched him. Amen. Arise and eat. The journey's too great. What, what's he saying? What's the Spirit saying? You're not going to make it if you don't eat. You can live this life, amen, this supernatural life without grace. You're not going to overcome in this life with a state of half-hearted victory. Amen. This is a narrow way. You don't have a lot of options. You know it's amazing? Many it? people come into Christendom and they believe they have, you know, multiple choice, A, B, and C. No, it's a narrow way. You've got one choice. That's Christ. It's Christ or death. You're going to have to do things God's way. It's that simple. Do things His way or perish. And that's the way it's going to be. As long as we believe that the broad road is the narrow road, then we're going to follow after destruction and be deluded and deceived. Amen. And the narrow way is straight. Amen. You cannot alter your course. And when we've got to be prodded to spiritually eat, we're in grave danger. Again, in Proverbs, it says, The sorrowful man hides his hand in his bosom. Same thing again. And will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Different scripture. A little bit different twist. Oh, you might get him to eat once. Oh, he's thoughtful. When he remains in his attitude of heart that's contrary to Christ, then you might prod him to eat. Amen. But to bring his mouth again, or his hand again into his mouth. Oh no. He's going to be very reluctant to do that. There's no victory, Amen. There's no desire for spiritual things unless we're right with God. But Elijah did reluctantly eat, yet he never acknowledged his sin. Says he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights under Horeb the mountain of God. He didn't drink again for that uh, till that time was up. And you know this, this is so so true. There's people barely living from one church service to the next. Because of incomplete obedience of the past and God and His long suffering and His mercy will continue to reach out to them. But until they go back and find out where they missed it with God and repent of that thing and make it right, there's going to be no victory. Oh, this is not preached anymore. Just forget all that. Hold on. You can't, if you, you need to make it right. Amen. You're not going to do somebody wrong. You're not gonna lose the victory. You're not gonna rebel. You're not, I could, the list goes on and on and on. And then just walk away from that without consequence. You're going to have to make that thing right. Amen. they got people leave churches because they heard a message that pricked their heart. And friend, I promise you, they're not going to get right until they make that right. Until they repent of that attitude. People that go from one place to the other like Cain. Amen. Who slayed his brother. He was that wicked one. The Bible says he slayed his brother because his, his deeds were wicked and his brother's deeds were righteous. And God put a mark upon it and said, you're a vagabond. You know what a vagabond and a fugitive, he said, you're going to be a fugitive. A fugitive is someone who escapes justice, running from church to church until the cross is preached, until they're brought to the place where you need to die. And then just like a fugitive, they run and hide, going from church to church, and they're never going to get the victory until they make it right. God, in His mercy and long-suffering, He'll continue to Shout and speak. And God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? you got no business being here. I didn't send you here. You think God would ask you what he's doing there if God sitting him there? He said, what are you doing here? I didn't send you here. That word cave in the Hebrew means a dark hole. A dark hole. I've been in a dark hole before. That's a terrible place. Amen. He ran from Jezebel and now what? He's running from God. He set a pattern. Amen. He's running from God. He's not running from Jezebel anymore. He's running from God. He's a prophet. And prophets are meant to prophesy. But what does he do? He finds a cave. And a cave is a place of hiding. It's a place void of light, And it's a place of death. And then they're often used for tombs. Isolates himself. Alone. Oh, and the devil wants to sit you. He's going to bring you all by yourself. Over in a corner that nobody can get to you and try to talk you out of salvation. Or oh, try to get your mind all twisted and pervert how you have a right to lose the victory. And then accusations against everyone. Suddenly, even you think you're the only righteous person, but you can't even worship God in the house of... How many times have I seen that? People that have no victory, have no joy, live in compromise, but everybody in the church is wrong for them, but they don't have any victory. It seems they would wake up and smell the roses. I that you don't have any victory, but you're the only righteous person. Everybody did you wrong, and you have a reason why you lost the victory. You need to repent. If you were really worried about the will of God, you would repent, amen, and make things right, amen. This is what we do when we fall and refuse to repent. We're going to find a place that parallels our experience. Amen. In other words, this is where we are. And this is what we will be. And we will be a reflection of our experience. That's why, even a man's countenance is downtrodden and defeated and woe is me. Even why is that? That's what he's experiencing. That's where he's at. He's in a cave. Amen. he's been crossed and he refuses to repent. He refuses to respond properly to his circumstances. Ellie Maxwell said, Submission and suffering are utterly contrary to the flesh. The thing man loves more than anything else in this world is himself. The thing man wants to have is his own way and to enjoy himself. Suffering, therefore, always crosses man where self is alive. Therefore, self refuses and rebels. That's always the response of that self-life that's alive. And that reveals, have we truly embraced the cross or no? Amen, when we should be serving, when we should be preaching, when we should be homeschooling, whatever else that God has told us to do, when we should be doing all these things with joy, we instead find ourselves a cave. Why can't I get the victory? Why can't why I do this? Well, you, go back and search your heart. There's something wrong. There's something there out of kilter and out of whack. And then somewhere we can hide from the light and we can die in peace alone. Just leave me alone. That's how people are. They find a place where they just want to be left alone. I tell you, when you talk to people, they say, just leave me alone. Something, something is wrong with them. Something Something's terribly wrong with them. Or oh, they don't want to be confronted when they don't want to be dealt with, when they don't want to talk about it, then something's amiss in that spirit. Amen. In such a place, God will always ask us the question, what doest thou here? Amen. Have you ever been asked that question? I've been asked that question by, what are you doing? You know better than this. Amen. Get up out of that place. Arise and eat. Go find yourself some light. Get out of this cave. and out of this darkness. and out of this self-pity. Think about somebody besides yourself. Be the will of God. God's told me that before. He's dealt with me this same exact question. God is merciful, but we cannot misinterpret his long suffering or his mercy. In other words, He speaks to, He speaks to us. And we've got to act upon that. Because before it all we'll harden ourselves, Amen to the Word of God. The next thing we see here is that He's wallowing in self pity. Amen. He hasn't just embraced it now, he's wallowing in it. And he said, This is Elijah's response. I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of them forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, saying thy prophets of the sword, and I even, I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. That is a very interesting statement by Elijah. Did he speak a lot of things that were true there? Absolutely. But it's a long perspective. The long perspective. Amen. And no Christian should say we should learn from this example. Self-pity always causes men to believe that their situation is unique. I, I'm telling you, in my years as a pastor and as a Christian, when you sit down with somebody that's being sifted, that's being deluded and deceived, they're always in some form of passion, they present their situation as unique. Amen. they're the exception of the rule. If you would take the same person and bring them outside and give them their same situation somebody else was in, they would they would rightly deserve and condemn that and say, No, that's not right. But when they're in it, oh if you need, I'm an exception. Because they've exalted himself above the word of God. Amen. There's a truth in what Elijah's saying here. But e- even if it was totally true, it doesn't justify. His you don't know how people have hurt me. You don't know how I've been used. Amen. You don't know what I've gone through. Quit whimpering and whining like a snot-nosed brat and be a man or a woman of God. That spirit is utterly detestable. I mean, I, 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 you sit down with people and they just, I went through this. Somebody, I mean, just give the victory. Is that what Jesus wants you to do? It's just plain and simple as the nose on your face that the Word of God, amen, says that you ought to pray for those who are your enemies. You ought to love them. You ought to pray for those who are despitefully you, but they always seem to view it. My situation is different. But we find here a lot, and he's exaggerating anyway. Because this statement, it wasn't true. For Jeremiah, had Jeremiah made this statement, it would have been true. He was the only one in his day. But for Elijah, we find the, the Lord giving him the truth in verse 18. Once Elijah persisted in his erroneous mindset, God exposes his deception, said, Yet I've left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which hath not kissed him. He said, I got seven thousand just like you. You've been duped. You've been deceived. You've been lied to. You've been used like a little, a little puppet by the devil. How does that make you feel that you've been just turned around by the serpent? See, I'm going to tell you, you begin to think about yourself. And I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how long you've been in the church. The devil is going to have you so confused, you won't know the difference between Jesus and Satan. You might be able to still quote scripture. You might be able to speak in tongues. But I tell you, that's ground that the devil can work in when you begin to be concerned about yourself. Once Elijah persisted in this mentality, amen, then it was over for him. You hear me? It was over for his usefulness. It doesn't matter the circumstances. Self pity always makes it its pride of paramount importance. It circle, circles up around its trouble. In other words, my trouble is of greater consequence than the redemption of Christ. You see what you mean? What you mean by that, Brother Rick? I played a song for Betty. Yesterday, the song, I believe the title is, Amen, hey it's, not, it's not that hard to praise the Lord after all. And they're talking in the song about how when you meditate upon Calvary and you get a revelation of what Jesus did for you, it doesn't matter if you're dying, if you, if you don't have any money, and none of that matters. The circumstances, it's easy to praise the Lord if you have a right perspective. And see, when people, they can't worship God, they can't enter in, they don't have any victory, all they're saying is it doesn't matter. Jesus died on the cross. I know that's true. But I got trouble. And I want you to circle up around me. In essence, self-pity demands of others that they deny even crucify Christ so as to be pampered. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God will have mercy. The Spirit of God will be long-suffering. But the Spirit of God never pampers self. Never. Never. That's what's called love in this hour. But Jesus never stroked the ego of his disciples. Not one time. He was willing to publicly embarrass them. Amen. Because that was what they needed. You hear me? Amen. But what's called love in this hour is most of the time agreeing with self-pity. Agreeing with self-pity. Amen. Furthermore, this statement was a subtle accusation against God by Elijah. What's he saying? You hadn't been fair to me. Amen. And he's called as a prophet. Amen. He's he's in Israel. He knows what it is to be a prophet. It's not like he was ignorant of the call. He said, I had that all settled. amen, hey, remember before he got into this thing. Had never prophets died? Had never prophets been martyred? Elijah, didn't you know that? Before you took up the mantle of the prophet, God never called a man that he hadn't revealed to him. Amen, the cost. Never. When he called the apostle Paul, Now you tell him what things he must suffer. Amen. Show him what things he must suffer for my name. That's the first thing they're going to, God, the Holy Ghost, is going to show you if you're really called the priest. Amen. This isn't going to be, you know, driving Mercedes Benz and wearing $500 suits and having your name upon a marquee and being on TBN. That's the false prophet. The Holy Ghost is never revealed that to a man. The Spirit of God is going to stick you down if you're called the priest and he's going to show you what things you must suffer for his name's sake. That's the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. He's going to deal with that element. Amen. He's so not going to promise you an easy time. But Elijah is saying, Oh, you haven't been fair to me, God. Amen. I've suffered for you. I've been obedient. And look, you know what's happened to me. Why didn't you take care of Jezebel? I find people like this all the time. They have trouble in their lives. They begin to follow Jesus. They think everything's going to fall right into place. And when things don't fall right into place, they blame God. You know what God would say to Elijah? Elijah, What he would say to Elijah? Why didn't you just just obey and overcome? See, God never promised you everything's going to work out all right. He promised you victory in the fire. He promised you strength and grace to overcome every obstacle. Not that you wouldn't have obstacles. Amen. Self-pity is a terrible thing. It demands the kingdom of God come to a standstill and revolve around itself. Amen. There's people all over Israel perishing while Elisha wastes time thinking about himself. And this is the thing, if you have a revelation of this, when you lose the victory and wallow in self-pity, there's people all around you dying for the need of what God calls you to be. And you're not that. And not only are you not there, there's no neutral place in the kingdom of God. If you're in the flesh, then everything you're doing is tearing down the kingdom of God. You hear me? You have to. Re- I'm not. You're not just come to a place where I'm going to stop and I'm going to just, you know, indulge in a little self pity and I'll hide myself from everybody and I'm not going to be a real hindrance. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. No, 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 no. Oh, you're it's a spiritual thing and you're doing harm to the kingdom of God if you call yourself a Christian. The only option you have is to repent. Look at the next thing. A still small voice and and he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount. Before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he hid his face. In his mantle, or wrapped his face in his mantle, and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. That word of the Lord, Amen. That pricking of the conscience will bring you back to the place where you entered into the cave. The place of decision: Am I going to go in this pit of despair? Am I? Am I going to enter into this dark hole here? Am I going to lose myself? You know, in this discouragement, the word of the Lord will awaken you out of that sleep and bring you into the entering in of the cave to try to deliver your soul. But you better hear the word of God. You better hear that word. And it was so when Elijah heard it, Amen, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou hear, Elijah? The word of the Lord comes to him again in the cave. And this is his last chance. And this is typical of the pattern. I'm not saying it's three times. I'm not trying to put a number, it's four times, it's twice. No, no. It's this pattern, though. How many times, I don't know. But I tell you what, you enter this cave, and you resist that still, small, voice enough, that you're going to be left to your own devices. Amen. Elijah gave his response to this question before, and what happens? God asked him the same question. In other words, that's not the right answer. You didn't give me the right answer. That's wrong that's not the reason why you're here. That's not the real reason you spiritualize it. You've covered your sin. Come on, Elijah, be real. Repent. Amen. You can, you can sense the agitation of your conscience. You know something's not right, but why won't you just lay everything on the table? That still small voice calls us back into the light. Amen. And we don't need to refuse That voice when we come out of that cave. Once a man has to come to the cave, the only thing that can pull him back into the light is obedience to the still, small voice. And the message is going to remain the same. What are you doing here? Why are you here? This is not my plan for you. This is not what I called you to do. You're not supposed to be here. You've chosen to be here. You've got to realize that there's something wrong in your heart for you to be here in the first place. Most people in the church that are in the cave, they don't know why they're there, but they still think they're Right? In other words, if you're in a cave, you're wrong, mister. What you doing there? You need to wake up. If you're there, there's something wrong. Notice, we didn't find God in the wind or the fire or the earthquake. God wasn't in the wind, the fire, or the earthquake for Elijah. And I I believe this speaks to us. He's not generally found in the things felt, heard, or seen. And you know, you, how many people have you known that get sucked away in the big and the dramatic? And why is that? I would suggest that people fall into such a place as this. And they're in the cave. And the still small voice calls them forth. And as they stand in the entering end, then the devil comes. Amen. Then the wind blows. And the earth shakes. And the fire burns. And that man who's separated from God and starving for the presence of God and starving for the, you know, the favor of God and the sense, you know, his, his presence again so desperately wants God but doesn't want to meet the conditions. He, he wants to re-enter in but he doesn't want to repent that he goes after the big and the miraculous. But if you don't hear that still small voice, and this is not to say that God can't be seen. Or it can't be heard or felt. But that's not where you're going to find it. Do you understand? That's not where men find God. Amen. Men are found. Men find God when they obey that still, small voice. So many folks are looking for God. in the big things, the obvious things, the things that are recognized. But they never find it because they refuse to listen to the still, small voice. If we refuse to simply obey the Bible, we can visit every camp meeting in America and never run into God. And this is the part of the church. So many people in the church today, they're running from one sens- sensational thing to the next. And if they would just be honest with themselves, they rejected that still small voice years ago. And they just covered it over. And they say they can take a shortcut with God, but there are no shortcuts. See, Elijah. His circumstances are exposing the motives of his heart. And then what God say? what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you in this thing for? I thought we had this settled when I called you. See, if we're going to follow Christ, then we're going to find out why we're in this thing. We're going to find out why we're doing what we're doing. Why we're here in this church. If no one recognizes you, if no one sees you, if no one approves of you, if your agenda comes crashing down on the rocks of God's will, if everyone thinks you're crazy, will you be content with Jesus? And friend, I can tell you, that's a path. Every single man of God, every single vessel that's ever been used of God, without exception, has gone through that test. And they had to pass. You hear me? You're going to have to walk through that place. Everything's going to have to be put up on that altar. The last thing here this morning, he clings to an attitude of self-pity. Well, how does he respond? Now, God asked him twice, What doest thou here? He said, I've been very jealous of the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken my covenant, throw down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I mean word for word. He doesn't budge, one, not one jot, not one till. And oh, if I could, if I could, if I could replay the conversations that I've had with people, who so you reason with them, and you try to show them the truth, and you try to expose where they're at, and they offer their excuses, and then you come back a month later, they repeat the same thing. They've been for years. They've been going around in this circle, same trial, same test, same fall, and they offer the same silly excuses excuse, and justification. Amen. It's deception. It's a dullness of hearing. Elijah refuses to forsake his wrong attitude. Amen. God's asked the same question twice because Elijah's response was wrong. And that's what God's going to do. He's going to, If you circle up around something, that's where you're going to stay. Amen. Do you ever proof text for that? The children of Israel, they did circles in the wilderness for 40 years. And what happened to them? They were cut off. Because they wouldn't pass the test, take another lap. If you're not going to get the victory and submit to the Word of God, then you're not going to pass this test, but you're going to go through it again and again and again, and you're either going to be broken or hardened in that thing. And that is God's pattern. He's not unmerciful. If our response, amen, it will fall and the rock will be broken, but if we stand in its way, it's going to grind us to powder. There's no escaping that. You can't sit under the Word of God and not be either broken or hardened. You hear me? This is eternal what's taking place here this morning. Is it God speaking? You can't just lightly sit here and not be affected. You're either hearing the Word of God or you're resisting it. Isn't this an amazing thing that people would do this? But I've seen it time and time again. In that cave, the most logical men will practice the most obvious ill logic to cover their shame. You never see people become so foolish and so ridiculous as when they begin to try to justify themselves for what is obviously wrong. They'll I I, I I well, it was, I, you're making a fool. I mean, normally you're, you're a brilliant person. Normally you're very logical. But now you're stammering and stumbling. You know it's not right in your spirit. So why are you trying to justify it? Maybe hey, he was given the truth, yet he come to a lie. Amen, He doesn't budge from His first statement. Amen, but He remains steadfast and unmovable with His own philosophy. And I can tell you this, God, He indeed is long-suffering, but He's not going to continue to beg anybody to follow Him. He'll come to you and say, Come, follow Me. But you're not going to have Jesus Christ in St. Paul's and ashes begging you to follow Him. He's not going to do it. The Bible says that God commands all men to repent, Amen. You know, I've found people before, they're in a wrong spirit, and you preach a message, and then afterwards just say, you know, if you would have if you would have delivered it different, I would have repented. Well, God commands you to repent. So they expect for God to come and read. Now look, you know, I don't, I don't, come, please follow me. But that's not the Spirit of God. It's the mercy of God that we would have even an opportunity to repent. Amen. If you don't want Jesus, amen, he's not doing, he's God. He's God. We should, if we don't have a desire for Him, there's something wrong with us. Not something wrong with Him. He needs to, you know, really woo me and really, you know, act as though He was. He's already died for you. What else must He do to bring you to repentance? It's an insult to ask God for anything other than the blood of Jesus. And He's already given that to us. He's already given that to us. Self-pity. So that's the end of service and that's at best. I said that's the end of service. That's the end of being used by God. First Kings 19, 15-16 And the Lord said to him, Go and return on the way to the wilderness. Said, just a matter of fact. Huh? It's God talking to His 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 favorite prophet. His, his man that He used for the hour. He didn't say, Well, Elijah, let me just give you one more chance. Do you understand the reaper? No, no. He just said, Go and return on thy way to the wilderness to Damascus. When thou comest anoint... Hazel, to be king over Syria. Jehu, amen, to be king over Israel and Elijah, to be a prophet in your place. Pretty plain. I can't use you anymore. You're not worth using. Amen, i got to get rid of you. You're going to be troubled for the kingdom. Such an attitude of spirit. Amen, I can't use you anymore. If you're not going to repent, amen, then you're not going to be used when a man entertains an attitude of self-pity so they become useless to God. Amen. Elijah crossed the line here and God said, that's enough. I'm through with you. And I can just, you know, imagine some of you pondering, asking the question in your heart, well, what, whatever became of Elijah? Certainly he didn't go to hell because the Bible uses him as an example of faith. And I believe you're right. That's the truth. But we need to remember this, that this is only a portion of the story. Amen. You know, don't, it's almost as if people, if you would preach this, I can hear them saying, you know, well, Elijah got away with it. You're already deceived. So I'm not burden to explain all the implications of Elijah's experience. This is given for a reason, to expose a certain thing. I don't believe Elijah went to hell. Amen. But I do believe this. If you entertain that spirit, you entertain hell. And don't you dare think that you can dabble in it and get away with it. We've, been received, we've received greater promises. Amen, this is a better covenant. And to whom much is given, much is required. I'm simply pointing out the obvious lesson here. When a man entertains self-pity, he endangers his usefulness, his ministry, and even his spiritual life. And this must be avoided at all costs. In other words, we need to just purpose in our heart. We're not going to entertain this. The Christian life is to die. That's how we enter into life. We must pass through death to enter into life. The Christian life is filled with paradoxes. Amen. To gain, I must lose. To live, I must die. All these things that are communicated in the Scripture. Therefore, we must reject selfishness in all of its subtle forms because that's the only ground that the enemy can operate on. Again, Mother Maxwell says, self is not only the seat and habitation, but the very life of sin. The works of the devil are all wrought in self. It is his peculiar workshop. Do you understand? The moment you begin... To entertain selfishness in any form. Self-pity is selfishness. That's why you heard me say that suicide is the epitome of selfishness. It is the most selfish, wicked, vile act that a person could, you know, do against their family. Even imagine a man committing suicide. He leaves his wife and children alone. And so, you know, if a, if a man were presented uh, with preaching the funeral of someone who committed suicide, and you pre- and you preach against suicide as it ought to be preached against, people would believe that you were unmerciful and without love. But it is the height of selfishness. You see, the carnal mind is hostility against God. It doesn't rightly divide things. It doesn't see things right. We have to reject selfishness in all of its forms. But you know, we can never deal with the old life apart from the cross of Christ. Self never going to crucify self. You're not going to reform yourself. It's going to be faith in the finished work of Christ. And our call is to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus is to be led by the Spirit. A man that's not led by the Spirit is not following Jesus. Amen. If the Spirit is leading me, then He is going before me and telling me where I'm to go. In other words, I'm following Christ. So if I'm led of the Holy Ghost, then that cross is going to effectively work in my life. What's the practical outplay or the practical application of that? Day in, day out. Should you find yourself... Listen to me. This was just a simple fall. That's all that in the life of a man that truly lived in history that was used of God. And he fell because of fear. And all he had to do to avoid this was be led by the Spirit. All he had to do was just repent and make it right. See, that's why I want to break this down and apply it to you in this way. Let's stand here this morning. I want you to realize in your everyday experience if something happens that separates you from God you do something that's not right don't think for one moment that you can just go to sleep and forget it and there's not ramifications for that do you understand that? I want you to realize that's, that's what I want you to hear this morning. you must be led by the Spirit and if the Holy Ghost says you better make that right you better repent you better bring this thing before me I don't understand what it is. You better pray about it. You better get to the bottom of it. And you better be led of the Spirit. Because that's going to make the cross affect you on your life. I can't produce crosses to die on Amen. The Spirit of God has a cross for me. And He will lead me there. And that self, self-pity, selfishness of every form will die right there with that old man. Amen. We must be led of the Spirit. We must realize that Christ is Lord. And we can't just lighten resist the dealings of God it's a very unwise thing lift your hands and let's pray Father Jesus name, I ask the Lord to search the heart help us Father Lord God expose that truth in all of His Father and I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we would not give one place for the world would not provide any place in the ground for pity to operate in Father for Lord we would reject it we would despise it we would repent, Lord God, that we'd be willing, false-hearted, tender-hearted, willing to forgive, willing to make things right. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. As we sing, amen, I want you just, if you need to, come to the altar. Feel it just there. Amen. Let's just meditate. Pray it